Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWANTTOGARDEN.COM and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWANTTOGARDEN.COM. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Craig Jenkins Sutton of Topiarius to talk about his experience with tree selection and planting. Craig's love of the landscape was a natural progression of his upbringing in central Minnesota, where he grew up at a youth camp. When he attended college in Chicago, he maintained his connection with the outdoors, which he soon realized his career path needed to encompass. In a confluence of events, Craig was hired as the operations manager at Chicago Christian Industrial League, managing the landscaping job training program. Most of the landscaping contracts were with the city of Chicago, where they maintained many of the city's green spaces, median strips, and public schools. Eventually, Craig joined D. Foley Landscape as construction manager in Massachusetts, where he continued to fine-tune his plant knowledge, installation skills, and design aesthetic. It was here that the vision of an urban landscaping business was formed, and in early spring of 2003, he returned to Chicago to start Topiarius. Craig's first landscaping job was completed out of the back of his Ford Focus wagon using five-gallon buckets and a shovel. Originally, during the landscape season, they hired local college students to help out with labor. However, now they have gone from two-and-a-half employee operation to an 11-person operation with an office and landscaping yard on the west side of Chicago. Welcome to the show today, Craig. Thank you very much, Greg. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? 
Well, quite honestly, it's a little bit of a convoluted path for a person who owns a landscape design build and maintenance firm in, uh-huh. in the city of Chicago, um, seeing as how I don't really have any specific background or education in landscape or landscape design. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm fairly informally taught. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the I mean, the reality of the situation is that I got done with college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I kind of found my way into a landscaping jobs training program um, where uh, I was working with formerly homeless clients of a uh, of a drug and alcohol rehab center wow. and teaching them how to really how to have a job. Uh-huh. Um, um, and then we most of the sites that we maintained were city of Chicago uh, sites. Uh, the city had contracted with the, the organization that we worked with um, to maintain certain properties and kind of really got my feet wet in landscaping in that. Um, and then spent a couple of years out of Massachusetts doing landscaping. And as I progressed through the early parts of my career, I realized um, a couple of things about myself. One, what I'm good at, uh, <laughs> good which is you. dealing with people and uh-huh. working with my hands. The second thing is that I learned what I'm not good at, and that's having a boss. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I resemble yeah, that yeah. remark. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I really was kind of the option when my wife and I moved back to um, Chicago from the East Coast was we, we really had intended on starting our own business she got a job that had a steady income and uh, health insurance, and yeah. I started Topiarius. And kind of from there, we have just expanded the business, and we're now, I think there's 28 of us on a daily basis. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Wow. So you mentioned it, Topiarius, that's your company. What do you do? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, we are a little bit like a landscape company and a little bit like an interior design company that does work on the outside and a little bit like a construction company. So we're a little bit of a hybrid. Mm -hmm. Uh, We primarily work in the urban center of Chicago. So most of our, the customers have very small landscapes, so tiny little front yards that may be five feet deep and 25 feet wide. Oh my gosh. Um, Some of them only have enough room for a container. They don't even have any plant material. Yeah. And then backyards range from, you know, small little courtyards that, you know, you walk out the door and you're in the garage in three steps to 20 foot by 20 foot backyards where we have a little bit more space to do things. Right. Uh, And then actually probably the majority of our installation work at this point is done on roof decks, whether that's garage roof decks wow. or roof decks on top of people's homes. And which is why we're a little bit like a construction company. We work in a totally built environment. And so uh, we have to have crews that are capable of building things like high-end pergolas and uh-huh. um, containers and doing the decking and all wow. of that. So yeah, we, we run three carpentry crews, three in, uh, installation crews, uh-huh. and we have four maintenance and fine gardening crews. And then kind of the, that other aspect of our of our business is the fine gardening, which uh-huh. most people would call maintenance. But because, again, these are such small urban spaces, uh-huh. when, when most people think maintenance, they think the mow and blow companies. They come, right, they mow, exactly. they blow the grass up. Yep. Well, most of our we have we have one lawnmower and it's a 21 inch push mower <laughs> uh-huh. and it gets used like three times a week. So our crews are they're much more focused on horticultural maintenance, on wow. uh, integrated pest management. Yeah, um, we're you know we also do probably the nicest um, seasonal color rotations in the city of Chicago, if I may say so myself. And so we run it's particularly during the seasonal rotation time. So early spring, summer, fall, and um, right up between Thanksgiving and Christmas when we're doing our winter rotations. Oh, right. We, we run anywhere from two to three crews full-time just doing um, uh, installations and containers. Really? What kind? Like food? No, no, um, d- decorative. So like you that beautiful front container at your, at, uh, at your front door or... Uh-huh. Um, you know, 
in the backyard, you've mm-hmm. got you know your little patio, and you've got the containers and right. so window somebody, boxes. That some, kind of stuff. Somebody could put herbs or vegetables in them. And, and we actually re- highly encourage our customers when they have roof decks that uh-huh. get sun because most of our landscapes are fairly heavily shaded. But oh, if you have a roof right. deck, we, we really encourage people to at least try and grow some vegetables, some herbs and some vegetables. Just mm-hmm. it, it, I, I think that um, it's such a great way to at least have some connection with <laughs> where our food comes from. Yeah, exactly. That when you understand how hard it is to grow something. <laughs> um, yeah. And then it's it's also great. A lot of our a lot of our customers are parents and have kids, and oh. it's a great activity that they, the kids can do. So. Absolutely, man! I'll tell you, I've seen this over and over and over again. If a, if a young person grows something from a seed, man, they're going to eat it no matter what it is. Well, and that and that's absolutely true. We have my wife and I have a much larger yard for living in Chicago, um, which is why we actually purchased the house. But uh-huh. we, I have about about seven hundred square feet of vegetable bed, which is nice. unheard of in the urban yeah. setting. And we have friends that their daughter comes over, and she is just so excited when she can pull carrots out of the ground uh-huh. or beets and then she goes home and she actually eats them which normally she wouldn't do so yeah how cool is that all right you know what you mentioned a couple of things along the way Uh, rooftop gardens tell us tell us about one of your coolest rooftop gardens that you've installed well you know this is we always talk to customers about return on investment Uh uh-huh and that return may be monetary, and it may be um, personal enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And when you get the customer who isn't as concerned about the monetary return on investment uh-huh. as much as the enjoyment return on investment, uh-huh. you can get some pretty spectacular roof decks. Oh, so that! We had one customer on a on a couple of years ago. We did a we started working with them, and they had a, a small deck off the back of their house stairs going up to a garage roof deck uh-huh. and then they have two other roof decks on the top of their home wow and when we started we were just concentrating on the back deck and the garage roof deck and we tore off the existing deck and pergola that were on there and realized oh well the roof is going to need to be replaced as well so we got a roofer in there and as they were pulling the old roof membrane off all of the plywood decking was it's coming rotted. up with it yeah and then not only that, but all of the joists were completely rotted, rotted as away. well. And so yep. we, we ended up having to replace the entire roof system on that garage roof. But then we've, uh, from there, you, you can do whatever because you right. know exactly what's going on. So we had a huge pergola that has um, retractable shades, which um, we really... It l- encourage people in small spaces where you don't have you have one spot where you can sit outside and enjoy it uh-huh. um, that's smaller we encourage them to do a retractable shade because on a cooler day you may want the sun and on hot days you want the shade so right. it gives a little bit more function mm, right. um, and then we they had heaters up there so that they could extend the season oh, we had nice. e-paste green walls to give some privacy from um, alley neighbors. Oh, nice, right? And uh, we yes. had they had a piece of artwork that we just incorporated into the into the space. Mm-hmm. The decking was all done on a porcelain paver pedestal system, so there's there's no wood framing or anything. It's all uh, these plastic adjustable pedestals. Oh, interesting. Um, which it's great because. If you ever have an issue with the roof, uh-huh. you can just move those tiles away, patch the roof, put them yep. all back, unlike a, a typical deck, which you would basically have to destroy the deck to do that. Yeah. Um, wow. And then just kind of a, a fairly limited palette of plant material. They yeah. have a couple of containers for annuals, and then really the rest of the plantings is boxwood on that deck just because it there's like 30 plants that work well on roof decks and they wanted clean, simple and easy and and boxwood made the most sense. Um, But then, but then, but then you, you've got all of these crazy things where you're, you're trying to provide an enormous amount of different functions. So you've got outdoor kitchen, you've Uh got dining, you've got seating, you've got, 
you know, the wine bar. Like you have to, on these small spaces, you've got to incorporate so, so many, many different things, things yeah. in, into these little spaces. So. Yeah. Wow. Cool. We need somebody like you here in Phoenix. You should come and visit and we should talk, <laughs> right? Another thing you mentioned that I wanted to kind of bring up, it's you, you, you used an acronym, IPM. Could IPM, tell, yeah. Please tell us what that means and like, give us some context around it. Okay, so IPM, Integrated Pest Management. I do not um, like to use chemical controls mm -hmm. unless absolutely necessary, and there are times when I do believe it is appropriate to use chemical controls, but mm -hmm. my, my preference is to not. Yeah. And uh, so the Integrated Pest Management is... Um, our crews, when they're on site, spend a lot of time just looking at the plants, picking up mm, leaves, turning them over, nice. seeing what's there, yep. noticing if there's any chew marks on plants, mm -hmm. um, on leaves. Um, I will often get emails, uh, photos from our crews saying, hey, I've noticed this on this property. What is uh, it? So um, it will be anything from yeah. Japanese beetle to... Um, aphids, which can be a nightmare here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so th just that constant, you know, looking for things that are out of the ordinary. Yeah. What what could potentially be going on on this property that if we catch it early, we can do something about it without having to do chemical chemical controls. Yeah, exactly. you know, if you catch the infestation early enough, mm -hmm. can you manage it through pruning and getting rid of that material? Perfect. So, You've mentioned, you kind of alluded to a permaculture concept uh, multiple times over our 10 minutes together so far. Are you familiar with permaculture? Have you done a permaculture design course? I am I am familiar with permaculture, but I have not done any permaculture mm -hmm. design courses or have, I have also have not. I've not actually never even really been in a permaculture garden. Got it. Um, but it is definitely, there are things in the small amount that I've learned that, that you're integrating make, they, they make a lot of sense. Oh just, yeah. It, it's, it, it's common sense things that you can do in your landscape to make sure that it's as productive right. either in terms of generating food or productive yeah. in terms of creating a beautiful space. Space. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I like to call permaculture, the art and science of working with nature. And our, one of the, the first premise that I always talk about in, when I'm speaking of permaculture is observation. And you've mentioned yeah. multiple times along the way how you're out there observing. Uh, you know, one of the things was, you know, you're observing for bugs. And, and another one, you observed in your life what you're good at and what you're not so good at. And you went with what you were good at. And, and even, even down to the basics of good design. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we really spend a lot of time talking with our customers mm -hmm. about how they use the space. Mm -hmm. What are you going to be doing out here? So are you going to use it yeah. for play? Are you going to use it for eating? Mm -hmm. Are you going to use it just for lounging? Are, is it a, is there traffic flow that goes through here? I mean, all of these things, is it viewed from inside? Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of those things play a, a really important part. And if you don't take the time to learn what those things are, the the design fails. Right, it's not going to be successful. Good job. I love this. Is, you're looking at it from a very holistic perspective, and that's I'm so all about that. So great work. Well, it, I mean, you, if you haven't been trained, you've got to do you've got to cling to something. So the it's <laughs> that, that patience and time, I think, is where. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. So today we're here to talk about tree selection and planting. And, you know, I, we live in the desert southwest, so I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. And so there's, there's a couple. So we're going to talk about trees and tree planting. But we need to also distinguish that trees planted in my yard are going to be different, done differently. And there's going to be different things to notice than trees planted in your yard. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, in Chicago, you're going to be able to grow, as you mentioned earlier, uh, before we started pawpaws. We can't even touch those here. <laughs> Not many people are brave enough to grow a pawpaw, uh, but those who, those who are, are are rewarded generously with a, a delicious edible fruit. Are they hard to grow? 
Uh, not particularly. They're just not. Ter- they're not a terribly ornamental tree. Oh, got it. And and you know when you've got a tiny little space in Chicago, you you're thinking probably more about ornament than got you it. are. Yeah. Um, food production. Yeah. Well, we need to change that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you? So let's just jump in. Talk about trees. How do you pick? The, given what we just talked about, how do you pick the right tree? It, it's all about the right plant for the right space. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things to consider before you ever go out to the nursery and buy one. Mm-hmm. First of all, what hardiness zone are you in? Mm-hmm. You know, here right. in Chicago, we're in zone five. In Phoenix, what are you, nine? Nine, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, they're right there. That's a big difference. Um, another really important factor is soil type. I mean, right. if I had my way, I would grow beautiful rhododendrons in my yard, but I can't because we have really alkaline soil, mm. um, and right. we just don't have that acidic soil that the, the rhododendrons need and, and want. And and it's not just that. Is your soil heavy clay, which uh-huh. it is here in in my backyard in Chicago. As it is here. Um, or, or is it really sandy mm-hmm. where, and this is one of the odd things about Chicago, if I move closer to the lake the more sandy the soil is so oh, if i'm working of in course. if of i'm course. working in andersonville in on the north side of chicago my crews love getting jobs up there because the soil is so nice and sandy you can easy, um, easily dig in it you don't need a jackhammer exactly. yeah. that's right the other thing to consider when you're picking the tree is what the mature size is going to be. You don't want to oh plant gosh, yes. a 40-foot-wide, 70-foot-tall <laughs> tree, you know, six feet off of your house. That, right. And and I see that all the time. Uh-huh. Um, my okay. neighbor has two blue spruce that are planted way too close to his house, and they just are, it's egregious. What's the, um, so what's the problem with that? Well, first of all, it it makes his house completely out of scale. So he's got mm. these ginormous blue spruce that uh-huh. are probably 60 feet tall, and his house is only 20 feet tall. And, and the scale of that house to tree ratio is out of whack, and so the house looks a little ridiculous next to those big trees. Uh-huh. But And from a function standpoint, not just a design standpoint, right. when you get that big of a tree planted that close to the home, mm-hmm. you can start to run into issues with, you know, foundation um, yep. problems where the tree yeah. roots are, you know, causing some issues with the foundation. So, I mean, there's, you definitely want to make sure that that mature size of the tree is going to be in scale um, with the location that it's going. What's the easiest way um, to figure that one out? Oh, well, there's multiple ways. The internet is always great. Michael Durr's um, books, he will tell you exactly what that tree is going to be like and where it should be oh, planted. He's uh-huh. it's an excellent resource. Or you can, most trees and nurseries are going to have a mature size on the tag um, when you when you buy it. So you while you're at the nursery, you don't have to carry around, you know, Durr's book that weighs about 35 pounds. You can just look on the tag and and get a sense of the mature mm-hmm. size. And and with mature size, that's also going to depend a lot on the variety of tree. Oh, right. So one of the trees that we plant a lot here in Chicago, because it's the right scale for our yards, is um, uh, hornbeams, the European hornbeams. Hmm, okay. Now, if you get a straight species hornbeam, at maturity, it's going to be about 40 feet tall and about 15 to 18 feet wide. Wow. Now, if you're planting that right up next to your house, there, that means that you've got maintenance requirements down the road. Right. But there's another variety called Franz Fontaine European hornbeam, and the Franz Fontaine is going to get about the same height, but it's only going to get about eight feet wide. Now, that may be oh. a much better choice when you're planting it, you know, close to a house or right. up along a fence line or something. Much more columnar so, that way. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you just... You have to make sure that that mature size, even if you're getting a hornbeam, may be different if, if right. you're getting a France Fontaine versus a straight species. Right. And then um, and really considering the root size, though, is important as well, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and um, it's not 
as much root size, but um, so much as it is the aggressive nature of the tree roots of, of the p- particular tree. So yeah. some trees just have a much more aggressive r- tree root system. Mm-hmm. Hornbeams aren't that bad. They tend to be an understory tree, so they don't do a lot of damage, but it's very specific to trees. So making sure that you're talking to an arborist or uh, you know somebody who really understands trees is going to help be able to really important. give yeah. you that direction. So, yeah. And then kind of once you determine some of these other structural things, uh-huh. um, hardiness zone, soil type, mature size, then it boils down to what do you want it to do? Um, do you want it to have seasonal interest? Do you want it to mm. flower in the spring or summer? Do you want to have great fall color? Do you want it to be an evergreen? Do you want it to have a fruit? I mean, those are the things that you've, you kind of have to look um, a little bit more into detail on each one of those characteristics of the tree and what, and what you want it to accomplish. Right. So when I wander into a nursery, how, how can I tell if a tree is healthy? Yeah, it's really a difficult task, mm-hmm. and it's one that we constantly are working on with our crews um, when they're going to the nursery to to pick up plant material is we we want them to be as fussy as possible and reject trees that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. But it, there's a lot to consider with that. So first of all, you have to understand that there's two different ways that you can get trees. You can get them containerized and you can get them bald and burlapped or B&B. B&B, right? Yeah. So B&B is very traditional. They go out, they dig, they plant the tree in the ground they dig the tree out. Uh, they used to do it by hand. Now mm-hmm. they have this machine, that ju- a spade, that just grabs the tree and plucks it out. Um, that's the one that most people are going to be the most familiar with. Uh-huh. Um, containerized trees are, they, they tend to be smaller. They don't, um, they're, you're not going to see kind of that, that big mature tree mm-hmm. that you, you can get with B&B. Right. But there are some things that you need to look at on both of them. So, if you're going to the if you're going to the nursery in the spring, before the the trees leaf out or even as they're leafing out, make sure that there are plenty of leaf buds and that they're oh, nice yes. and swollen right. and are really soft and supple. So mm-hmm. it that that's a good indication that that tree is is healthy and is ready to kind of pop and go for the spring. Uh-huh. Um, I also really recommend that you check for the leaf scar. Now, this is a little bit more technical, mm. but if you look at the ends of the branches uh-huh. where the bark changes color, so older growth is probably going to be uh-huh. a darker color, right? and then the newer growth is going to be lighter. If you look to see how long that lighter stem is, it's a good indication of whether or not that tree is happy. If oh, you are seeing four, one. five, six inches of growth on on that lighter section uh-huh. that's a really good indication that that tree did well last year right and was it was happy where it was located mm-hmm. i also like to do the the scratch test so you take your thumbnail mm-hmm. and you lightly scratch off a piece of bark on a really small little twig right and if underneath that that layer of bark the um, you see green mm-hmm that means that that tree is is more than likely is alive so that's a good indication right. if it if you scratch it and it's brown that uh-huh. branch is 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 probably dead oh, um, of course. and if and if you find that that one of them is dead maybe check two or three or four locations to mm-hmm. see if there's more of them and then kind of lastly in the spring i like to just have our guys just kind of bend the branches and see if they're flexible oh, right um you know, that means that there's moisture in them. That means that they're growing. If yeah. they snap and break, that's uh, probably a, a, not a, a good thing. plant that's not going to yeah, do well. Yeah, exactly. It, so then it, that's in the early spring. If you're mm-hmm. purchasing the plant in the summer, so mm-hmm. after it's leafed out, just make sure that the leaves are nice and full and not dry and wilted. Right. That's a great indication that the plant is being cared for. Um Make sure that there's not a lot of dead branches. So step back from the tree, take a look up in the canopy, make sure that there's not, you know, like half the tree isn't dead. Yeah. Um, I also really encourage our guys to get a sense of how that tree is growing. So, and this is not a general rule. It's because a lot of trees grow differently. Right. But for instance, 
you, you just want to make sure that that canopy is well shaped and formed. Mm. So a good example of that is a tree with a strong central leader mm-hmm. so that, that, that the trunk goes all the way up through the tree and all the way to the top with just one leader and then there's branches coming off of it. On trees that have a strong central leader, you want to make sure that that central leader doesn't break apart higher up in the tree. Oh, right. That is, tends to mean that there's some other potential problems down the road with mm-hmm. that tree. Um, if it's a if it's a multi-stem or a tree that doesn't have that, then you want to look more at just the overall shape. Is it right. shaped well? Does it is it you know that tends to mean that mm-hmm. the nursery who's growing it is doing is doing a uh, good job. But, yeah, and it's not planting the trees too close together. Got it. So when you um, say when you say up in the uh, main leader, it splits apart. You mean like it Y? It turns into a Y up. Exactly. Yeah. And and some trees, that's very normal. And uh-huh. so that's why you can't always use that as a, a, a specific role. A but, role. Yeah. you know, for certain for certain trees, that is definitely the case. Got it. I also, in the summer, really like to get down and make sure if it's a B&B tree, I try and pull the burlap away a little bit. And uh-huh. I get my fingers in there to see if the soil is moist. If it's not, right. that's a problem. Um, oh, yeah. If it's containerized, it's a little bit easier to tell if that you can kind of see if it if it doesn't have quite enough soil or enough water. Yeah, you'll a lot of times you'll see kind of separation on the on the edge along the container, yeah. and it'll just be dry. So what about what about it getting root bound? I've heard that before. Good. Okay, yeah, and that's and that is kind of the next phase of checking the plants. So mm-hmm. um, for trees that are in containers. Um, it, it's hard to get a sense for that. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, it, you can't just pull the tree out of the container right. or you can't cut the container. But you can look if, if the oh. size of the tree mm-hmm. is significantly larger than the container that it's in. Right. It may be a little suspect. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be a healthy tree, but uh-huh. you may want to be a little bit more careful about it. If you can, some sometimes you're able to do this. If you're able to pull the plastic away a little bit, you can kind of see, you'll be able to see the, the edge of the root ball. Mm-hmm. If there are a lot of uh, roots kind of around that edge, it that is probably a good indication that that tree is a little bit more root bound and you yeah. may want to avoid it. Yeah. Um, and then when you've, in the same thing, uh, you want to you want to look for the root flare. So that's oh, right. that okay, classic yeah. look where you're, as you follow the tree down, right before it goes in the ground, it should flare out from the trunk. Oh, uh-huh. and if you don't, and if you don't see that flare, um, you know that that tree, as it's been planted um, in the containers, it's the liners have probably every time that they move it from one container, one smaller container to a bigger to container. Big yeah. It goes a little bit deeper, and they cover more of that root flare, and then it goes a little bit deeper and cover. So you want to make sure that you see that root flare. Now, on B&B trees, mm-hmm. you again, you also want to make sure, and this is a little bit trickier because you may have to untie some of the, the right. burlap around the outside of the tree to see if you can see the root flare, but you definitely want to do that. I also like to gently, you don't want to do it too hard, but I grab up, you know, three or four feet up on the tree trunk, right. and I move the tree back and forth a little, a little bit. bit. Yep. If the tree moves out separate from the root ball, so if, if it seems like the tree is loose in the root ball, that's a bad sign. Oh, um, right. You, it means that there's probably some significant damage on the roots itself. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then, you know, I also really, again, on B&B trees, you know, making sure that that soil is moist, um, you know, they, it can just dry out so quickly. Right. Yeah, exactly. What about tree staking? I, you know, sometimes I know I get trees in my yard. In fact, I have one that I just planted last week that has a, you know, a, I don't know, half inch diameter stake that's lashed to the tree. What do we do in that case? Well, it kind of depends on the tree. So a lot of times when, when trees are coming from an, a nursery, and you'll see this more with ornamentals and more with containerized trees, mm-hmm. 
the ornamentals, a lot of times they're, they use that stake to try and um, guide the tree as it's growing so that it grows mm. more upright. Uh-huh. Um, and then containerized trees, a lot of times they're, they can get blown in the wind. And so by staking them, it, it really will help them to you know, manage some of that, that damage that the wind can cause. Yeah. Now, I, my preference is if it is a containerized tree that is staked, uh-huh. um, I like to remove the stake when we plant it. Yeah. If, if a tree needs to be, if, if you're concerned that the tree is going to blow over, uh-huh. there are better staking mechanisms than there are better staking ne- mechanisms and ways to do that than yeah. having that that stake, stake right up against the right yeah. up against the, uh, the the tree trunk. Now on ornamental trees, so let's say for instance you are buying, and this is, I guess it's not so much an ornamental tree as it is an ornamental shrub. But if uh-huh. you get a tree form hydrangea, so that's a very popular way um, that we will install. Um, like limelight or PG or Tardiva hydrangeas that have been trained as a single stem, and All then right. they have the the top is mm-hmm. nice and big. They, we call it tree form or on standard. That tree needs that additional support. Uh-huh. So a lot of times we'll leave that stake on there um, just in uh, because that it, the stem is too small for the large size of the head that's on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But then what we do is we make sure that our crews over the course of the next two or three years are monitoring that stake and making sure that the points where it's tied onto the stem are not damaging the tree. So you said there are better ways to stake it. Can you speak to one of them? Sure. My Probably the best way to stake like a deciduous upright tree uh-huh. is we like to put three posts in mm-hmm. about um, anywhere from, let's say, two feet, maybe a little bit farther, depending on the, the size of the tree. Um, but as typical two-and-a-half-inch caliper tree, we like to put a stake in the ground, um, three of them, about two feet away from it. And then we... Uh, in a triangle shape, right? In a triangle shape, yep. correct. And then we tie... It can either be wire or rope, um, as long as you're protecting it around the tree. Trunk, yeah. Um, and then you stake the tree in that triangle shape so that, but you don't want to do it too tight. You want that tree to be able to blow some uh-huh. because that'll actually build strength in, in both the tree as it, and um, the stem as well as in the roots. Uh-huh. So you want it to be able to move some, but you don't want it to move too far. So yeah. you just want to have it nice and loose. Um, and, and then, you know, after a couple of years, that tree is going to have a fully established root system that's not, you, you can just take those stakes yeah, out. Yeah, I can, right, perfect, perfect. So can we talk about planting depth and uh, is, you know, is there a way to plant a tree at a wrong depth? Absolutely, and this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I can tell, go. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. Uh, we, I drive by and I see trees that are just buried and it, it's painful to uh-huh. me because you're basically giving the kiss of death to that tree. Uh-huh. So there, there are two big mistakes that people make. They either plant the tree too high, and if you plant the tree too high, it, um, it makes it more susceptible to being blown over. Mm-hmm. And it also, the tree will dry out much more quickly. Right. Um, with that, the root ball exposed more, it just, it just is going to dry out more quickly. But I would prefer my crews plant a tree high any day of the week than planting it too low. Oh, In really? fact, w- one of the phrases that I tell my guys, plant it high, it won't die. Hmm. We can we can control a tree that got planted too high. We cannot we, we can manage it. We can mulch the, yeah. the root ball. We can make sure it's getting the proper amount of water. Mm-hmm. We can stake it. But if that tree gets planted too low, there's, a, there's not a whole lot that you can do to, you know, to save that tree mm-hmm. over time. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of the, the, the biggest thing, and we, I mentioned this earlier, is the, the root flare. If you cannot oh, yes. see that root flare, mm-hmm. if, that, if the tree goes directly, you know, it's nice and straight all the way right into the ground. If there's yeah. no flare out at the bottom, that means that that tree is planted, planted too, too deeply. Deep. And 
kind of the the biggest problem with this is that the tree will compensate. The the trees need oxygen. They need easy access to moisture. They they want to have these feeder roots at the surface. And so a tree is going to compensate by sending out secondary root growth Uh that grows up from the root ball straight up towards the surface. Uh-huh. This takes additional stored energy away from proper root development mm, because right. it's it's being forced to do this, which yeah. it doesn't want to. And then the, the other problem that this causes is over time, and I'm talking 5, 10, 15 years, these roots are going to continue to grow. And when you have that big of a mass of roots around a tree trunk, it's going to girdle that trunk. Oh, yes. And I have seen... 30-foot-tall trees that have had girdled trunks that have blown over in 20-mile-an-hour winds. Yeah. So but say, is, say, more, say more about girdled. What's that mean? So the tree roots will get into this habit, and you see it mostly – well, there's quite a few different times that you'll see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you see it in containerized trees. So that oh, yeah. the tree roots will go out to the edge of the container. They can't go anywhere else. So they turn and they start going around the tree. Circles, yeah. And that's what the girdled tree is, uh, you know, when the, those roots go around in a circle instead of straight out. So um, containerized trees, you can manage that when you plant it. You mm-hmm. can um, loosen up those roots. Yep. Um, you can, if, if they won't loosen up just with your fingers, I've even, done, I've even taken a pruning saw and pruned, yeah. like cut, made vertical slices. But when you, are, when you plant a tree too low... It's very hard to control those girdling roots because you're forcing that tree to grow girdling roots. Yeah. Um, another another time that I've seen it uh, girdling roots is when it, people always think, oh well, I've got to amend the soil. I want to amend the soil, so they'll dig the hole, they put the tree in it, and they have heavy clay soil, and then they put all this beautiful compost around that tree, and it's super easy for the roots to grow in it. And those tree roots are going to go right through that compost. They're going to hit that heavy clay, and they're going to be like, why would I go in the clay? I've got all this nice compost. Uh, oh, yes. And so then they grow around and around. Yeah. So, you know, we, we're very careful. We, we, we don't do a lot of soil amendments mm-hmm. when we plant trees. We like to use the, the soil that came out of the hole to mm. replant that tree so that that tree knows that it's those, you know, it's, okay, well, it's heavy clay soil. I got I to gotta keep on pressing forward and getting my roots to spread out. Yeah. Interesting, because I I encourage people, and I've heard this before, uh, in my fruit tree program here in Phoenix, I encourage people to add, because we have such dense soil here, add 50% organic material and mix it in with the native soil. And I had never, honestly, I'd never stopped to consider that the roots might actually stop. So you've actually seen that happen. Yeah, yeah. There was one in, one yeah, there there is a a customer of ours, it was a, a commercial property, and it it was exceedingly heavy clay soil, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, like you could just see the tree blew over and you could just see the girdling roots around it. Now, and this is like, there's the whole, whole nother conversation about uh-huh. checking the soil fertility and making mm. sure that that tree has the, the nutrients that it needs to mm-hmm. grow. So, I mean, you can't, you know, if you don't have any nutrients in your soil, which you know how much of Chicago is yeah. doesn't. I mean, you know, so like there is a balance to be made with that, and and there are other ways to encourage you know positive root growth. Um, you know, you I've seen where guys have uh, cut slices into the outside of the um, the, the, the planting hole. hole. Yeah, um, that's what I you know, encourage there, people to do. Yeah, and I've also seen where. Uh, arborist has um, where they've found that a tree is doing some girdling mm-hmm. they'll take an auger like a small oh, yeah. diameter auger like a like a bulb planting size mm-hmm. and they'll drill they'll drill, drill holes out radiating out from the tree to just encourage a little bit more aeration and, and get those tree roots to grow out yeah nice so it takes but, a little... but now we're we're really talking some complicated aboriculture here, though. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, and most homeowners aren't going to do it. Y- y- yes, and you still have to dig a hole. And if you have hard soil, what I encourage people to do is take a pickaxe or a shovel and just 
scar the loosen edge up the, those sides. Yeah, yep, and that helps a lot. I think doesn't it? Uh, I think I think we would say that is giving the root purchase. Hmm. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so it's got a place to kind of to, dig in to so, dig in and go. Um, yeah. Yeah. Turn around. Exactly. Cool. So, what is the biggest mistake consumers can make in planting a tree? Well, as we've talked about, the the, the biggest one is the 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 depth that the tree gets planted at. Right. But following really close behind that mm-hmm. is watering. Oh yes. And I like to tell people that the number one reason that trees die in the first year of planting is that people don't water them enough. Mm. And the number two reason why plants died in the first year <laughs> hold is on, because hold people on. Water, water them too much, right? Is they water them too much. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so there, there's a really fine balance that you have to have to take. And again, this is so dependent on soil. Mm-hmm. If you have sandy soil, you are going to have to water a lot more. Mm-hmm. If you have heavy clay soil, you're right. not going to have to water as much. But if you don't water, your plant is in trouble. Yeah. So what I really encourage people to do is go out at least once a week to begin with, mm-hmm. maybe even more often. If you've planted that tree during the summer, you probably want to do it more often. Uh-huh. Um, go out, take a spade, like a little hand trowel, mm-hmm. dig down about, you know, just right about where the tree root ball ends, dig down six inches. If the soil is dry, mm-hmm. water. If the soil is moist, come back in a day or two and check again. again. If the soil is wet, wait a week, come back, come back and, and check it again. It again. Yeah. So, like, it, it's just, you, you want that soil to be evenly moist. You don't want it to be fully saturated because that will keep oxygen from getting right. to the plants. Um, but at the same time, if it dries out, you know, it particularly, our, our, our biggest concern on our roof deck projects is we would rather we would rather keep water running all the time on them because uh-huh. the soil we know that the planting media that we use will freely drain so they're not going to sit in soil right but as soon as those trees dry out that sun that oh, wind it's yeah. going to desiccate those plants and so you you the biggest concern is making sure that once you've exposed that flare mm-hmm. that you're keeping that plant evenly moist yeah. and I really encourage people on new trees to do this not just for the first year but really for the first two years is really right. make sure that you're monitoring that soil moisture these are these are um, plants that are going to make the biggest impact in the long term yeah. you know you have a let's say a 30 year old tree in front of your house that's that's a fifty thousand dollar plant wow. you can't replace that plant right so you know, making sure that you're caring for it is a really solid investment for the resale value of your home, for the overall enjoyment of the home uh, as well. I, and recently I found out something, uh, actually one of my tree coaches, the guy that uh, I work with on the fruit tree program, uh, he said, go out and buy a moisture meter. Oh, yeah. And I just spent seven ninety nine at the local you know, nursery and bought a an inexpensive moisture meter. And what I discovered was that I was overwatering some potted trees. Yeah. It, so. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, you know, my, my wife's grandmother, she, a lovely woman, but man, she can <laughs> overwater, you know, every day she goes out and waters and yeah. we tell her like, you're, you're, you're damn like, well, why did my tree die? Well, cause you're overwatering. overwatering. Like you just, yeah. you have to slow down. You have to make sure that, that the plant is getting the moisture that it needs, but not getting too much. Yeah. Perfect. What about mulching trees? You know, our, the biggest issue that we find with mulch is that people pile it too high. We call them the mulch volcanoes and you see them everywhere. And, you know, we, we see them all over here in Chicago and we thought, Uh well, maybe it's just a Chicago problem. And we were down in Memphis this uh, over the Memorial Day weekend, and there's mulch volcanoes in Memphis. And we thought, well, I don't know, maybe it's just Memphis and Chicago. And then we were in in Portland um, in June at my niece's graduation. They've got mulch volcanoes. There's mulch volcanoes everywhere. Interesting. And you're basically doing the same thing to the tree as when you don't plant it at the proper depth. If you're adding that mulch so high up onto the tree that it's covering up uh, its root flare and yeah, the you don't stem. Want to do that. Right. 
Yeah, it, it's just, there's it's holding moisture up against it. It's causing it, potential areas for rot. Yeah. Then as soon as you get that rot, then it opens um, the the tree up to being susceptible to invasive um, diseases, diseases and yeah. pathogens. So yeah, yeah, we we just we really recommend you know two to three inch um, mulch depth. And then making sure that that as it gets as you get towards that root flare, that it maybe goes down to no mulch right. that you just are really tapering it off. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really really important is not not to cover the trunk up. What we found here though in the desert, we need that extra mulch to um, hold in the moisture. And I actually have a friend of mine who has a foot of wood chips in his backyard, and he's turned his. <laughs> backyard into this incredible forest uh, so i guess and that again showcases the, you know different climates it works differently yep exactly yeah yeah and and we'd really i mean particularly like parkway trees so the that space between the sidewalk and the road right exactly here in chicago those those are horribly ne neglected spaces <laughs> here and, in phoenix too you know, yeah, just you know, making sure that you're doing everything that you can for that tree, and and it all depends. You know, we we actually really like to use uh, we use a pine finds mulch. It's a little bit finer uh -huh. um, mulch. What's nice about it is it has a little bit more acidity because it's a pine. Pine, exactly. Uh, it's smaller, so it breaks down a little bit more quickly. So it's adding nutrients to the soil. Mm -hmm. um, we're still putting it on thick enough that it's doing a good job of doing that. Um, moisture retention uh, as right. well as moderating the sun so it, it can even out or make the temperature variations for that tree root ball um, decrease pretty significantly oh, as well yeah. so it's doing all of those things now shredded hardwood is a very popular mulch here mm -hmm. in the, uh, wood the chips. midwest yeah um, and that that works well it probably lasts a little bit longer than the pine fines but that's part of the reason why i like the pine fines is that they don't last as long they're breaking down and they're adding right. organic material to the soil yeah cool cool well you have given us a ton of information i and i about trees and planting so i so appreciate that and i'm gonna absolutely and i'm gonna shift on you a little bit um i want to know what drives you what's your big why behind all of this I don't like wasting money. Uh -huh. So, I mean, our whole business model is, you know, we do high-end landscape design and install. I recognize that we are a luxury service. Mm -hmm. I do not want to be a luxury service that then wastes your money. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm if somebody is going to spend a significant amount of money to redo a small space. <laughs> I don't want to plant that tree in the front yard improperly so right. that in another five years it dies and that homeowner is then mad at me because either I didn't pick the right tree or mm -hmm. I planted it wrong. You know, I, I want to make sure that we have long-term success in, you know, these spaces for these customers who are investing so much money in, yeah. the, in that space. So, you know, one of, I mean, that's really the biggest driver is, you know, creating value and mm -hmm. value, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different for everybody and what yeah. that means, but, you know, creating that value and, and doing it right the first time. Beautiful. So I'm all about education and I have to know, is there one or two books, you already mentioned one, which we're going to talk about again, that really has driven home these concepts for you? Well, I mean, probably my favorite book in terms of garden design is is Thomas Church. Gardens are for people. Uh -huh. He is uh, was really drove kind of the modern garden design movement, and it has been very influential in terms of how I view space. Mm -hmm. He has this he has this great quote, and I may not get this exactly right, uh, but. I take this to heart in every space that we work in because we work in such an urban and, and human made space. Uh -huh. I think of this quote on every single project. It is, it is a little unfair to attempt to prove that nature has crept slyly over the fence and done the job for you. Mm. And the thing I love about that is he 
he wants it's it's this notion of honesty and design Mm -hmm. um and that that really kind of guides i i it's different when you have acres of space and you can create that 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 babbling brook through the the property Uh um i it's really hard for me to do that here in chicago so (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly um so you know thomas church and then just in, in as far as you know tree care you know, it's definitely Durr. Michael Durr is the he's yeah. the guy. That's so the anything, anything, anything that he writes, Durr. yeah, that he, anything he writes is kind of the gold standard for woody plants. So perfect, perfect. What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, it's the advice that I get. I give to my guys all the time when they call and they say, "Well, we could do it this way or that way." <laughs> and my response is, which way is the more difficult way to do it? Uh-huh. And that is probably the way that it needs to be done. And when you're planting a tree, think of it this way. So I've got um, a tree and the root ball is two feet wide. Mm-hmm. I could dig a two foot wide hole and drop that tree in, but that's not what's best for the tree. What's right. best for the tree is to dig a hole that's one and a half times the size of that root ball. Yeah. You know, so and it's it takes more time. It takes more effort to peel back the burlap and mm-hmm. expose that tree root flare. It you know it takes more time to water that plant in as you're planting it, so that to make sure that it's fully watered when it goes in, mm-hmm. to make sure that it doesn't have any air pockets that are going to suck moisture out of it right. um, over the course of its life. You know, th- those are the more difficult things. So in terms of for homeowners is a lot of times it's very easy to just hire the lowest cost provider to come oh, and, and yeah. do tree care yeah. or it's easiest to go to the big box store. And I'm not saying that you can't get trees at big box stores, but it's much more difficult to choose the right tree, the tr- healthy tree at the big box store than yeah. it is if you're going to a garden center where they have a trained staff that's going to help and help you with selection yeah. um both a variety as well as you know this maple tree versus that maple tree why is this one a better tree for you yeah one well, interestingly one of the things that i have found over and over and over again here in phoenix is that the uh, uh, big box stores will sell you a tree no matter what whether it's and i deal in fruit trees no matter whether it's going to produce fruit here or not and so quite often my customers come to me afterwards and said, well, I planted this, this tree from, you know, this big box store and, you know, it's not the kind that's ever going to make fruit here. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and it's all about education. And I mean, you can have garden centers that don't have uh, educated staff as well. So, you know, it's, it's consensus. And that's why I really advocate, you know, talking to, botanical gardens and mm-hmm. arboretums right talking to your extent your local university extension office talking to professionals um, ar- professional arborists or professional landscapers getting a multitude of of information yeah. and then finding the consensus within that information perfect perfect well thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today craig it has been a treat chatting with you well thank you very much as well absolutely so how can our listeners get a hold of you well, the easiest way is on our website. It's topiarius.com. And I could, um, would you like me spell to spell that? that? Yeah, let's spell that okay. for everybody. It's T-O-P-I-A-R-I-U-S.com. Dot com. And then from there, they've, you know, they'll have you links for our Facebook page and our Twitter perfect. and our Instagram and all of that. Perfect, perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, Or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. 
I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.